just because you're successful doesn't take anything away from me. I, I truly believe that everyone can be successful. There's enough to go around. However, you have to be a giver. You can't just be a taker, like you said, and you have to have the right mindset for it, right? Not everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. Not everyone wants to invest. I know, I know several people that have worked at a company for dozens and dozens of years and they totally fine with it and you know good for them they don't want to take the risk but you know it, it's all about mindset hello friends and we're back to another episode of the performance mindset podcast and i'm your nick post edie calendrino as you know i've been counseling entrepreneurs and investors for over a decade and along the way i've met some impactful individuals and leaders and the goal of this podcast is to discuss mindset and share some tips, whether commercial real estate or mindset with you to help you along your way. If you want to grow, you're tuning into the right show. Today, I'm excited to have with me Charlie Hardit. He grew up with a middle class mindset, which I'll talk a little bit more about what that is. And after years of playing the long, slow game, he found a real estate as a way to reach financial and time freedom. He now invests full-time in apartments and provides opportunities for others looking to grow their wealth and achieve their goals. Charlie and his team look for underperforming apartment complexes. Then they use an intricate strategy for each property and work to mitigate risk through due diligence and experience to provide great returns for investors. There is a better way to retire, and Charlie and his team are on a mission to help others. Welcome to the show. Amy, I'm so pumped to be here. I love talking about mindset. I love talking about commercial real estate, and I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I've, I've been looking forward to us connecting. I think we pushed way back in the summer, and now we're finally yeah. <laughs> finally connecting. So, but yeah, let's let's share with the listeners how you got started. Let's go back to the beginning. Talk a little bit about your background, and then we will transition into some of these topics. Oh man, great, uh, great question to, to start. And I don't even know how to explain myself. I, I grew up in Dallas. Uh, I had a really good buddy that uh, his dad was uh, an entrepreneur. He owned multiple businesses. You mentioned in the intro, I grew up with a middle class mindset, and you you said the long slow game. I, yes. I was doing so well at the long slow game, but I hated it. And yep. you know, my my buddy's dad was always around, which was just so foreign, uh, foreign to me because I was taught and everyone I knew around me worked, you know, 40 to 60 hours a week, worked for someone else, traveled and, and all that. So to have my buddy's dad always around, you know, picking us up from school or going to yeah. games and, and just like little things like that. I'm like, okay, this is crazy. You, you know, that something else is out there. So that kind of got me thinking that, Hey, maybe there's something else out there. Fast forward to college because, you know, I'm, I, I was taught to go to college and nothing. get good grades, get a good degree, get a good job, climb the corporate ladder. There's nothing wrong with that. I just was, you know, I, I didn't want to play that long, slow game. But in college, my my best friend and, and now business partner, he had uh, some family that owned some real estate. It was in a different country as a vacation property before Airbnb was a thing. Wow. And I was like, oh, man, that that's awesome. That That's amazing. Uh, for him, but obviously I, I can't do that, right? I, I, I can't afford yeah. commercial property and in this villa overlooking the pyramids, right? Good good for your family member though. Fast forward, I was on my second deployment in Afghanistan, read uh, a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, 
totally was like, it. holy cow, this is amazing. And, and Amy, I felt like at that point, I knew I wanted to work for myself. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was already somewhat interested in real estate because I looked at the Forbes you know, 500 list of the most uh, wealthiest people in the world. A lot of them were like oil and gas or stock market, or they invented a company. I, I'm not good enough to do any of that. But then there's a lot of people on there that did real estate. I'm like, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> it, and it's not easy by any means, but it, it you don't have to invent something. You don't have to reinvent the right. wheel. And so I, I started learning more about real estate, but just never found my niche because there's, you know, dozens of asset classes and hundreds of different strategies for each one to invest. But years ago, I, I found multifamily syndication and I was like, man, this is this is exactly what I was put on this earth to do. So uh, I'm based in Nashville now and from Dallas originally. I, I miss Dallas, but I've been here in Nashville for over a decade now. <laughs> oh, wow. Next time I'm up, I've never been to Nashville. I have a lot of friends in Nashville and I have to head up there. I heard some of my friends and I are that we're thinking about having a girls get together over there. So we'll have to have to do that. But what's interesting is I was just watching the documentary the other day about Arnold Schwarzenegger on uh, Netflix. I had no idea he made his first million dollars on apartments. Yep. I was absolutely shocked. Like I thought for sure, like, you know, sometimes people think that you have to all of a sudden have all this money, but then to, to then invest in commercial, commercial real estate or apartments or whatever, but you know, you could start the other way around and they continue yeah. to feel that. Had you, had you heard about that before? Yeah. And I, I don't know the full story, but he, you know, in, in, in <laughs> by no means am I a bodybuilder or even close yeah. to it, but from what I understand is, you know, it doesn't pay well, but when you win the, <laughs> I don't know, championship or whatever it's called, yeah. when you win these events, you get some money so he bought apartment complexes to provide some cash flow while he wasn't getting paid. And to this day, Amy, I believe he still owns a lot of property. Uh, he, yeah. He's moved up from the 20 units. I don't know what he's at now, but <laughs> it, it's funny that, you know, most people think of him as I think of him as an actor, not a bodybuilder. But a lot of people think of him as a bodybuilder as well. But he's actually a commercial real estate investor, which is awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. I, I had no I had no idea. And then I did some research on it and, and sure enough, and I wish they would have spent a little bit more time on that, like in, in there. But I think that's, uh, you know, it's it's a great way to, to utilize real, real estate as a tool because I mean, then he wasn't as, you know, tied to when was, you know, he got to get his next role or when was he going to have his next Mr. Universe or, you know, and then you're not always going to stay in that physique forever. Right. He doesn't look like he did, you know, decades ago. So, you know, but real estate, you know, is there for you. So that that was uh, interesting, I thought. So, yeah, it, it, it's awesome that he that he did that. You know, I don't know if he had a mentor or something, but um, it, and maybe not. But just using his his winnings, his award money to buy apartments, I think is just genius on, on his part. Yeah, yeah. I was waiting to talk about that on the podcast at some point. And I was like, wait a second, that would be a good time because we're talking about, you know, a, a unique background. And that's not something he didn't come from an entrepreneurial or business background and to do that. So uh, let's talk about investing in real estate, especially apartment complexes can be complex. Can you elaborate a little bit about the strategy that you deploy when dealing with these? And like, how do you identify these opportunities without giving away too many trade secrets, but you know, what, what type of tactics do you deploy? 
So first off, in in the multifamily syndication, just quick recap for the audience. You know, there, yeah, there's what a group is multifamily of multifamily <laughs> syndication. If somebody has no idea and they're tuning in today, they're like, "Oh, that's interesting. Can I learn more about it?" So yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe I'll, I'll give uh, my background a little bit too because that ties in. When I was you know looking for real estate, what could I get into? Everything I was looking at, like flipping or wholesaling or you know renovating, whatever it is, it was all me, right? It, it was a one person. It didn't have enough cash flow or potentially enough equity for a partner unless they they provided all the money. But there wasn't yeah. enough equity and cash flow for two of me, right? Two people doing the work. And so I was like, I, I just don't know if I can do that. I found multifamily syndication. I actually thought it was a scam when I first heard about it from the passive side of things because in a syndication, you may have a group buying a, a $20 million property. There's not many people, maybe maybe Arnold uh, could buy it now, but not many people that can go and put a six, $7 million down, uh, down payment on a $20 million property. Mm-hmm. And so what we do is we, we group together with like-minded in, individuals and, and teams. And so there's two parts to this. There's a group of the general partners that's anywhere from three to maybe 10 general partners or active people that put the deal together. So they find the deal, they underwrite the deal, they have different vendors like insurance companies and uh, contractors, lenders, et cetera. And then you have people that that run the uh, kind of like project management in the corporate world, but asset management, they're the ones that are basically managing the property management company week to week and month to month. And then you have people on that team that help raise capital and, and uh, some do investor relations and things like that. Uh-huh. And then you have a, a bigger team that that owns 70 to 80% of the, the property of passive investors. And so they put their money in with the general partners and we just put it in this big pool or this big bucket. And then we take that and we buy a $20 million property with, you know, five, six, $7 million down. You know, the goal with this syndication with our strategy is to, and I don't like this term, but everyone understands it, is basically flip an apartment complex. Mm-hmm. We don't kick out tenants and, and you know, we don't have these massive uh, uh, renovation teams. So the strategy usually takes three to four years to unfold. And, and it can be quicker where we renovate, you know, if there's five vacant units, we may renovate three or four, you know, takes a few weeks, but then that, that extra unit that's vacant, we try to try to rent that. And then the next year, the next cycle, we'll go ahead and renovate, you know, some of the remaining units. Yeah. So it, when we underwrite, Amy, it's, it's a five-year holding period. We aim to double our investors' money in five years or less. So basically when we complete the business plan, and oftentimes we can do that in three, three to four years, then we look at you know paying back the investors their initial investment in addition to that uh, du- you know doubling their money. So it's been it's been great. But you know with that strategy, there's there's a lot of active investors, a lot of active general partners on there. So everyone has their own strength. So out, no. let's say there's eight people in that group. There's usually only one or two people actually finding the deal that has the relationship with the broker. Whereas the other, you know, five, six, seven other people, uh, they ca- can complement their skills with maybe they're better, uh, better organized. I'm ter- I'm not organized whatsoever. <laughs> and so I don't do the asset management. I don't want to do it because it's you got to be organized. So it, in the syndication space, I don't have to do this by myself. In fact, if I could do this by myself, which I can't, I wouldn't want to because there's so many moving parts to it. 
and there's a lot of other people's money at play here. So I don't trust myself with one, you know, doing everything by myself. So we do have a team that runs these properties. And then the passive investors, they get to sit back and, you know, read the, the monthly emails if they want, or if they have questions, <laughs> they can reach out to us. So that that's the strategy that we use and we force appreciation in these commercial properties and, and we get nice returns for our, in, uh, for our investors. And then I, I think the second part to your question was, how do you identify the opportunities? For the audience who may not be familiar with LoopNet or Crexy, it's basically like Zillow and Redfin, but for commercial properties. So you can yeah. go on there, look for the properties. Uh, most of these properties are not on your local MLS, but they are on LoopNet and Crexy. And then from there, you can reach out to the brokers and you get on their broker list and or their email list and they'll send you deals when they when they have them. Yeah. And it's all about relationships. Do you do just Tennessee or have you gotten to other states? It's funny <laughs> because I'm, I am I am based in Nashville, uh, as, as I mentioned. I have one one property in Tennessee in the Nashville area. Okay. We have four others right now. They're all out of state. And by the time this, this airs, we'll probably be closed on another one that's out of state as well. So... I only look, I only underwrite in, in uh, Tennessee in the Nashville area, but I'm willing to partner with with good operators in other areas of, of the country. It's all about the operator. As you put together your team, one thing I've noticed is mindset's so important. And then you find that, you know, probably the people that you have on your team, you want them to have like a similar type of like mindset. And, and how do you evaluate the, those operators that you want to bring onto your team? That's a great question. You know, it, it I think operators are the most important part of this, you know, piece of this puzzle because you can have a great deal and a terrible operating team and they totally screw up that great deal. Or on the flip side, you could have a, a decent deal with phenomenal operators and they will just turn that, you know, decent looking investment to a phenomenal investment. So I, I do definitely think operators are the most important. And, and so what I look for when I partner with operators or what's their track record uh, how many deals have they done? Have they done similar size and type deals in these markets or in, in these areas? Have they worked with a property management company before? I'm an underwriter myself, so I like to see the underwriting. Okay. Even though I may not be an expert on that market or that submarket, I can still kind of analyze it to see, okay, this this looks conservative enough okay. and I know what what to look for. So I think it's really the big thing is the track record. Have they done deals in that area before? Have they used a property management or any other vendors? Or mm -hmm. is this just kind of their their first adventure into a new market and new new vendors and, yeah. and all that? So I, I definitely like operators that have good good track records. Yeah. It, it's interesting what I sometimes say is the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And so, you know, looking at someone's, you know, track record, sometimes there's things like totally outside your control and maybe you had something kind of go sideways, but you know, you want to look for right. someone who's like consistent and has done what they are supposed to do, what they said they would do. So, yeah. And I, I would also add that communication and trust are keys and, you know, kind of, kind of what the trust factor, even though I didn't say that word, that that's part of the trust, uh, the track record and, and all that, but you also have to trust them personally, not just their track record. And then I think communication is, is so huge. It's so vital because, yeah. You know, it, it's not, uh, in this case, it's not one manager telling their employees to do something. It's a lot of managers, right? A lot of general partners working together. Yeah. And so you have to be able to, you know, complement their weaknesses and allow them to complement your weaknesses. 
And so it's just, it's a big team that comes together and, you know, maybe that sounds corny, but it it truly is a a team, team effort here. Well, and also you have to get out communication to everyone that is investing and to to you now you've done, you've done several deals and, but to them, some of these people, this might be like their first deal and they're sitting there and they're waiting and they're wanting to know. And so you've got to have that cohesive team. So everything operates well. And then also that you guys are able to kind of build upon that and continue forward. Right. Yep. Totally agree. Can you share some of your insights in the due diligence process so that you might kind of look for what would be some like red flags to to look at in the due diligence process? Because you probably say no to more deals than you actually say yes to. Absolutely. There's a lot of ways you can look at the red flags. And and for those of you that are not familiar with due diligence, you know, if you bought a single family home, the thought is you, you get a title search and you get an inspector to come out. Maybe you, you get, uh, depending on where you live, a termite letter, I think is what it's called, or termite inspection. And, you know, those the, the, the uh, inspection report, maybe 30, 40 pages. Think about that, but times 100 units. And there's a lot more than just the property, because what we want to do is also look at the leases, right? So we're scoping lines. We're looking at electrical panels because some of these panels, you know, if they're in the 70s or older, there's there's three or four brands that were just no-goes and, and those need to get replaced. It's not a if, it's a when. Yeah. And so that, that can present more problems. Now, I have not personally come across those in any of the properties we look at. And, and part of that is because we don't really look at properties older than, than 70s, but that can be extremely expensive and, and it doesn't add value to the property. It's, it's kind of a hit that you have to do, uh, but it doesn't yes. really add value besides maybe, you know, reduce insurance or whatever. But, um, you know, for, for due diligence, some of the red flags are let's look at the, 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 um, their financials. So that would be the trailing 12, the profit and loss for the last 12 months. Let's look at the rent roll. When we look at the rent roll and if there's a lot of people that are, uh, you know, we're paying a little bit and, and then over the last month or two, now they all just signed brand new leases and they're all $300 more. I've seen that before. It's like, okay, something just happened. What is it? Are, are these true, you know, are they actual leases and the, the market just went up that much or is there something shady going on? Oh, and, oh yes. And and, and, and there, we always, you know, go by the method of trust, but verify and so we will look at all, all of the leases, not not like one or two, but we'll go if there's 100, uh, 100 units, we will look at 100 leases or, or, you know, 98 leases. And we'll go through them to make sure that the, they match up with the rent roll, exactly what the rent roll says, when the leases were signed, when they expire, who's living there, what they're paying, what their deposit was, all that. that that's not a quick process. You know, you're, you're not looking at one or two things at a lease. You're looking at several different things on a lease and, and a lease is just one of it. We look at what contracts are, are going to convey with the property. Um, you know, are they do they match up with what the financials say, or or at, are they at least pretty close to it? You know, and then in, in the due diligence period, we also look at the the comps in the area. What other properties are around us that are competitors? What amenities do they offer, and what do we not offer that we could offer? Or things like that, just to make sure that we're understanding that that we can say, look, we have done. Almost, you know, everything that we can to make sure that this is a good property. Because at the end of the day, it's not just my money, but it's my investor's money. And we don't play around with that. You know, <laughs> we, we want to make sure that we can 
say 100%, yes, we feel so confident about this property. Here are the risks that we have identified, and these are ways that we're going to mitigate them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I was working on a, I was representing an owner in leasing out a property. He, they bought the building and come to find out all the leases were fake. So, and oh so gosh. like they they move in day one and there's nobody, there's nobody. And like, they were all like fake leases and they bought at this super inflated value for like, you know, I think they bought the building for like four or $5 million and it really should have been like a million and a half. Two million, and it was ridiculous. And so I had to spend like releasing up the building, but it it sucks. Like I mean that I, and then you know the thing is, is like you may like they may disclose the expenses on this, but then you look back at it and I'm like, no, that's not right. Like oh, it's only going to be like this much for maintenance, and then you find out it's a completely different amount. So um, yeah, you always have to watch out for those things. Look. Yeah, it's a lot of detail work. So. It is, and you know, if uh, in my in my space where I underwrite a lot, I'm able to look at a lot of the maintenance and you know a lot of the expenses on different properties, even if they're properties we don't go after. So it is, you know, after a while, depending on the submarket and, and the class of the property, you have a general idea of where those expenses are supposed to be, and maybe, yeah, maybe the the OM the the broker says, oh yeah, the expenses are down here, and you know that's not accurate, or maybe the expenses are really high, and I've seen that a lot as well. It's like, oh, this is a, a you know a win because they're spending way too much on on landscaping. I know we you know we could get that for you know twenty thirty percent off, and so there's. After you do it a while, you can kind of see patterns and, and you know, you know, you don't have to spend as much time underwriting yeah. it or doing due diligence on on certain things just because you know that's that's either overinflated or overinflated or underinflated. Well, yeah, and then you just have to kind of recast the financials too. Like I think like if somebody is, you know, they're you're looking at their tra- trailing 12 and maybe they are at like a hundred percent, like they're, they're full. Uh, but I think still like the bank is going to figure out some kind of vacancy and collection losses. And so you got to like factor that in and yep. at the end of the day, you have to get the money from the bank and see, make sure that all kind of lines up. So right. what I think is really cool about what you do is like you talked about the power of like a team and everyone kind of coming together to, to, to these investments and everything. Can you give us kind of some examples of how your approach is like impacted the lives of some of these investors and contributed to their long-term goals? You know, it's so funny because when I first heard about syndication and well, you know, I, I mentioned, I, I thought it was a scam, but then when I went back and, and actually changed my mindset, educated myself and and saw that, wow, this is for someone like me who doesn't have the experience of investing full time. It was my very first deal as a limited partner, as a passive investor when I wired that money over, Amy, I, I felt so relieved. I was like, this is exactly what I've been looking for for 30 years, 30 plus years at that point, right? It was something other than the stock market, something that I can control my future and don't have to rely on social security. I'm not like going to get a pension. You know, who knows what my IRA is going to be like in, in 40 years. And so I, I was just so impacted by that. And, and about a year later, I got into my first deal as a general partner. And the whole time I was talking to one of my friends, a family friend, I've known them for probably eight to 10 years, really, really good friend, really good family. And 
I, I was just telling her and her husband about like what it is that like why I was so impacted by uh, being able to passively invest. And when I when I had a deal come up, uh, my first deal, I said, hey, we have this deal, the, you know, and I, I basically held her hand through the process and, and told her uh, what we were going to do. And that was, that was about two years ago, Amy. And to this day, and we talk often, but to this day, she'll send me a random text or email that says, thank you so much, you know, for, for showing me about this. I was never taught about real estate growing up. And I was like, I wasn't either, you know, like I, I feel like it's my duty because there's so many people like me where, where I was a few years ago that want yep. something else and don't know where to find it. So I, I think that's my biggest win as a, as a general partner of being able to help someone else's future be completely transformed because now they're not yeah. waiting on, you know, when they're 59 and a half and, and have a retirement or, or yeah. retirement money, don't have to worry about social uh, security, which I just read last, last week, looks like that's going to run out in 10 years or so, or at least one of the, the funds is. And, and so there's, there's something else out there, Amy, and I love talking about it because it, it's just, it's so impactful and, and beneficial for a lot of, you know, people like me, like just common people, right? I didn't grow up wealthy. And and so being able to find the, the syndication route where I could invest passively at first, now actively, and then eventually passively again, and, and only do passive, that's, you know, changed my life immensely. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I was never exposed to, to real estate we moved down to Florida in a trailer. <laughs> we lived with a bunch of like snowbirds in this place like just west of Orlando. Then my parents saved up to buy like the first house, but very like blue collar equal. So the fact yeah. that I'm like in commercial real estate and my goal is to, you know, help people, you know, build, you know, generational wealth through commercial yep. real estate. And it, it's just so wonderful to like to see and and to have that like approach and educate and help people like along their along their journey. So yeah, yeah. I, I I love it. And and you know what's what's interesting is I think any anyone can benefit from syndicate from multifamily uh, syndications. You could love your job and want to stay in there. And that hey, good for you. I was not that way. But you can still invest and have a better retirement. Yeah. Or I know a lot of people that have actually left their jobs. And now they're uh, full-time real estate investors and they just, they're serial passive investors, but either way yeah. you want to do it, it can still work for you. And, you know, anyone can, can go this route because you don't have to have experience. You can, you can passively invest. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is like, do you want that freedom? Like if you are working for someone else and not working for yourself, not investing or not having your own business or maybe a combination of having your own business and investing, you know, then you don't have that freedom and to, to be able to, to be present for your children. You talked about that story before your best friend's father being able to be present because, you know, he had that, you know, freedom to do that and how impactful that is. For, for, and so then the people that are involved with this then have that choice that if they want the freedom to go fishing, to go golfing, to write a book or whatever it is that they want to do, that they have the freedom to do that. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. What's something you actually gotten to do now since you've been investing that you didn't necessarily have the bandwidth to do before? You know, I started a podcast a few months ago, which has actually been amazing. I yeah. get to talk to really cool people. 
you know, and, and learn from them. But I, by no means did I have the bandwidth whatsoever when I was working a full-time job. Yeah. You know, been able to travel a little bit more, although not as much as I want. And, and partly because my wife was in grad school and my daughter's in gymnastics and that's, she goes five days a week. Oh my but, goodness. You know, it, it, yeah. It's, she's amazing. Um, but you know, it, I'm able to, to spend more time with the family as well on yeah. my terms, not, not, Hey, just got home. It's five, you know, five thirty, and I'm mad because I just fought traffic. <laughs> I, I hate traffic. Uh, maybe yeah. a little road rage, but anyway, <laughs> you know, and, and so just been able to hang out with the family more and, and do things when I want to, as opposed to when I have to, yeah. you know, if I travel, it's because I want to, not because it's a business trip and, you know, work is telling me I need to travel. Yeah. It's nice to have those choices and, and be able to do, yep. to be able to do those, do those things. And, and then I think um, what I've noticed as I've gotten more more freedom over my life is that uh, I used to have like guilt for like, you know, picking up the kids early and getting in like the pool, like before we go to like Bible study. Like, I mean, that was like last week, that was last Tuesday. And now I still care. Like it's, you know, but I, you know, like I get to do it on my terms and, and when I want to, when I want to do that. Of course, you still have to, yeah. have to discipline to, to do all the other things. You still have responsibility, but you get to do it in your way. But yeah. Right. Which, you know, one of the things I got in, there, there's two things I got into commercial real estate for. And, and they're they're similar. They they in my opinion they go hand in hand. But one was financial freedom, and the second and really the more important one for me is uh, time freedom. Done. I want to be able to do what I want when I want. Yeah. And commercial re- real estate has allowed that, and it's not not going to slow down anytime soon. It's only going to get better. <laughs> well, whenever I start to feel like I'm getting like trapped by something, I have to like ask myself if it's like really worth it to to do this. What I'm looking to do. I mean, I was uh, on track to be president of a state organization and it was wonderful. Don't get me wrong. But then I was having to decide like, okay, you know, who's going to watch the kids so I can go on business trips and, you know, how mm-hmm. am I going to do this? And I'm like, you know, why did I have these kids just to get a bunch of babysitters and then like have them take care of it? And so then I have to like ask myself if I really want to do that. And then, you know, evaluating the priorities and whether it's worth it and whether it aligns with mine. Um, I actually added a fourth F. I have three top Fs, faith, family, and fitness. And now I've added a fourth, which is finance, because at the end of the day, you're talking about financial freedom. What I'm actually bringing into my household is really important. So uh, it helps to feed all those other things. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. But well, give me uh, some advice that you would offer to people that are thinking about getting into real estate investing. They may not have a background. Of, you know, often I have people that Google, you know, find me on Spotify or otherwise because of some of these different keywords. And so people might start to look into multifamily syndication and maybe they've never done it before. What what kind of advice would you give to them and what where how can they start on that path? Yeah, great question. And, I, you know, sometimes I, I get this question or maybe I'll get it directly from someone new yeah. that is looking to get into real estate. So. This is not necessarily even commercial real estate. I, I highly recommend commercial because I've done residential a little bit. I don't like it. I didn't hate it, but there's just so many more benefits with commercial in my mind mm-hmm. that I, I don't, I, I would, knowing what I know now, I would have gone straight to commercial. 
That being said, uh, definitely find mentors, you know, talk to people, figure out what you want to do, uh, whether that's single family, whether that's industrial, mobile home parks, whatever it is, figure out what you want to do and find mentors, find people that have that are doing what you want to do. Uh, I, I would say, Amy, and you probably experienced this too. So many people in this business are so willing to help. They're mm-hmm. just freely, you know, give advice, help if they can give you vend- their vendors or their contacts for certain things. And oftentimes they know they're not going to get something back immediately, but something they will get something back in oh, return. Yeah. It just might not be anytime soon. Um, so find a mentor that is doing what you want to do or what you're interested in. And don't just ask questions, come prepared, you know, try to try to learn and, and make that time as valuable as possible. I would say education is extremely important because again, you know, for, for me, I was all over the place. I was learning education. Uh, I was I was educating myself, but I had no focus. So when you find what you want to do, focus on that, educate yourself on that. And then what that that's kind of getting started, but then from getting started to go to the next couple of years, it's not going to be just unicorns and rainbows all the time. Oh no. So the big thing for me was actually my mindset and and being determined because there's going to be you know when when you first learn about something you're on the moon right you're like oh my gosh this is awesome this is the best investment of all time but if you're trying to raise money from someone they they're like yeah that's great i don't get it i'm not going to invest and so you may get down but you got to stay determined you got to you got to have a hardened mindset one of the books i read for mindset which was awesome was can't hurt me by david goggins and that was just all about preservation that dude is amazing wow and yeah, amazing. He went through Navy SEAL training three times because he got hurt the first two. Wow. I think he's the only one to ever do it three times in a year. I mean, just a ultra marathon athlete, just a beast. But anyway, so th- those were several things, but a mentor, education, focus, uh, mindset, determination would, would be like the top five things I would say. And I think you could, I think mindset is, uh, you know, akin to an athlete. It's something, something that you work on. And the whole reason yeah. why I had this podcast is my mindset was not where it needed to be. And then I was around a lot of friends who were podcasting and I'm like, what better way to build back up my mindset than to have a podcast about mindset. And ever since I've done this, I feel like it's much more transparent to me. Those that have a mindset, maybe those who I can help or, you know, there are, there's givers versus takers. Um, tends to be those people that are takers and don't want to be mentors have this fixed mindset and think that there's this lack of abundance and view you like as a threat and they don't want to like help you. And I I have them in a list in my head (laughs) to, to, you know, who to watch out for. But then I think, you know, givers get and those people have more of that performance mindset and have that abundance mindset and know that here's the deal. Just because I'm successful doesn't mean that you can't be successful. And and even in your approach, you're showing that a whole team can be successful together. And so having that performance mindset coming together. And then, yeah, I think as you reach out to people and you're looking for those mentors, you're going to find that some some of these people are going to be so willing to help you and, and so eager and then you may not get responses for people and you can kind of keep that in mind. Maybe you caught them on a bad day or maybe you'll find out later on that a lot of the other givers <laughs> tend to have them on one side of the sheet <laughs> so, yeah. as you go along. So, But it's a small industry, so no matter where, where you are. And so it all does come around. It's, it's like what you're talking about. 
Yeah. I, and I love what you said about, you know, scarcity mindset versus abundance mindset. For the, for the longest time, I was in the scarcity mindset okay. team, right? Which, you know, it, well, if Amy's successful, that means that she's taken a little bit from me. So I, I, I can know. still be successful, but not as successful. That's just complete crap. You know, it, yeah. just because you're successful doesn't take anything away from me. I, I truly believe that everyone can be successful. There's enough to go around. However, yeah. you have to be a giver. You can't just be a taker, like you said, and you have to have the right mindset for it, right? Not everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. Not everyone wants to invest. I know I know several people that have worked at a company for dozens and dozens of years, and they they're fine with it. Totally yeah. fine with it. And, you know, good for them. They don't want to take the risk, but, you know, it, it's all about mindset. Well, I think you have to build your, yeah, to build your mindset. And then what was that book that you said again? Can't hurt me, right? Can't hurt me. I got to read that book. Yes. That's that awesome. I got to read that. I, I thought I'd read almost everything yeah. on mindset, but obviously not. Man, he, he had a, it's an amazing book, Amy. You got to read it. <laughs> I could talk about that for an hour or two, but uh, I know we don't have the time. Oh. But, you know, the thing is, is you you just, you can't let fear. So back to like the scarcity mindset, that's when you're letting fear, fear reveal. And like, I remember I was having a lunch with someone the other day and I said, well, why, why isn't someone like you aligning with someone like me? Because your company believes so much, you know, in the values that my company has. And then, boom, I got a call from the CFO of that company. They're like, we are going to use you for this project. So, so then not having the fear and just like putting it out there. Yeah. It's so good. So, well... Talk about your podcast, how people reach you, and if there's anything else you want to chat about briefly. Yeah. Uh, so my podcast is called Passive Investors Playbook. It's it's really for people that are, it's a real estate podcast. Uh-huh. It's, it's really focused on newer people. Maybe they've invested in properties, uh-huh. but uh, they want to hear what experts have to say, or uh, maybe they are new to real estate. And, and even though we primarily talk about multifamily syndication, there's other syndications on there, like uh, talked about mobile home parks and some uh-huh. people are doing pr- private lending and had a, a guy that did a wine and whiskey fund, which was awesome. But but really, it's just ways for people to passively invest because I, I found a lot of my friends and family that are somewhat interested in real estate. They're like, yeah, but I don't know anything about real estate. It's like, you don't really have to. Like, that's what we're yeah. for, right? You just have to believe in the, in, in the business plan, believe in us. So uh, that's what the podcast is about. The, and that's on Spotify, Apple, Google, all the all the major uh, platforms. Our website is hkigllc.com. If you have any questions, our website's pretty basic, but you can contact me on there. Uh, my calendar's on there. I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook as well. So feel free to reach out. I love talking about real estate. Could do it for a long, long time. I actually love helping new investors as well because yeah. we're going through a raise right now on a on a property. And like I said, this will be well, we'll be closed on it by the time this airs. But I, I have two people that have never invested in real estate before investing with me. And I love it so much because when they both said they would do it, I sent them a message back saying, I'm so excited for you. This truly changed my life. And I know it will change yours because I, I truly, truly feel that way, Amy, of, you know, this this used to only be available to the ultra wealthy, not to people like me. Right. And so the the fact that now it's available to anyone you know, it's it's just it, it's life changing for a lot of people because most people have never heard about it before. It is incredible. I have, uh, unlike some of the other brokers in my market, I have a passion for helping. I'm more on the commercial 
office industrial retail side, but you know, have some uh, background in multifam. But I'm able to help a lot of startups, and it's a heck of a lot more work for me to educate people and help guide them through the process. But it's a much bigger reward, I find, yes. and especially when they start to have their next location or they're expanding, and it's much more. It's just really fulfilling for me. So yeah. <clears throat> I could see Fulfill- like where there'd be the parallel. Yeah, fulfillment is definitely the word I would use as well because you know there's there's you know we we call them retail investors people that will put fifty thousand dollars in but they won't do it you know multiple times a year it's like once every cup uh once every two or three years because that's a lot more money for them but i i love that because it's you're truly helping them transform and, and take control of their future yeah well, I really appreciate it. So you can find them on LinkedIn, you have the website, and there's also a meeting booking link right there. And um, yeah, I really appreciate it. I'm glad you got to talk a lot about mindset and what you're doing. And I appreciate everybody tuning into the show today. All right, this is Amy Calangino signing off.